Welcome to Violet Sessions, I'm Danielle Radoichin. Today's show is one in a series that we are doing as part of Port Elliot Festival. In this episode, we're talking to the writer Allegra Houston. Allegra hit the headlines with a magazine article and subsequent memoir about her upbringing in Ireland with the legendary film director John Houston and the discovery that he was not her biological father and her teenage years spent in Hollywood with her sister, the actress Angelica Houston. After graduating with a first in English from Oxford University, she worked in publishing and film writing. Today she lives in New Mexico with her son. She's just published her first novel, Say My Name, and here she is talking to us on Violet Sessions. Hi Allegra. Hi. Welcome to Violet Sessions. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you. It's really lovely to have you on. Um, where have you come from? Did you come into the festival today or have you been here um, for a while? Well, I arrived last night, but I came almost directly from Taos, New Mexico, which is where I live. Which is where um, I used to live in Albuquerque. Oh, actually. really? Yeah, I went to University <laughs> of New Mexico. Wow, not many. Uh, no, UNM. You would find many people in Port Elliot, probably, who are the UNM alumni. Yeah. And I had a very, very good family friends that live in Taos, actually, so I got to go spend some time up there. Yeah. It's a really special it's place. It's a very beautiful place, and despite being very remote, very cosmopolitan. Definitely. People from all over the world live in Taos. And the best cross-country skiing ever. Yeah. <laughs> and also voted the number one for terrain of downhill skiing in all of North America by Ski Magazine. There you go. There you go. Now I know. We've done quite a lot of downhill, we've done a lot of downhill skiing in the mud. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and but it's not your first time here, I understand. No, I was at Port Elliot um, eight years ago. I published a memoir called Love Child, and I did an event for that here. And it's taken me eight years to write another book, but I've finally done it. And um, and it happened that I was going to be in England at the time of Port Elliot, so I asked if they could, if the festival might want me. Unfortunately, they said yes. <laughs> nice. Um, and that mem- that memoir was was um, just quickly talking about that was about a was about your as a memoir of your childhood. Yeah, it was mostly a memoir of my childhood. Um, it was called Love Child, a memoir of family lost and found. That was the subtitle, um, and it's the, the the very quick sort of um, pricey is that my mother was killed when I was four. After that, I was led into a hotel room and introduced to a man and told, "This is your father." Um, and then when I was twelve, I was sat down by my by then ex stepmother and told. Actually, no, that's not your father. This is your father. He, this other man, he's coming to visit tomorrow. Um, so it was. it's a memoir, basically, of kind of making a family out of very kind of confusing fragments. Yes, and that father turned, was, in fact, the director, John Houston. Yes, the first father, the one in the hotel room, was the film director, John Houston. And the second father, the one who I met when I was 12, was the historian, John Julius Norwich. And then, and, and you may, and then you, you revealed this in a magazine article, which subsequently became the book. Well, it wasn't it wasn't a big reveal. <laughs> I mean, it, it was pretty common knowledge, um, and it had been you know published many times in other books, and it, it was it was really no secret. But I had written a, an article for Harper's Bazaar that was called Daddy's Girl, D A D D I E S, which was a really good title, not yes. mine. Um, really about how lucky I felt to have those two fathers and that, yeah that was the genesis of the book and and you're here at Port Elliot promoting your new book I, I am which is a novel called Say My Name and uh, would you like to tell, us, to tell our audience a bit about what it's about okay um, well uh, the basic storyline is the love affair between a woman nearing 50 and a young man who's 28 who's a musician 
and the sort of centerpiece of the story is my romantic fantasy, which is that somebody would have written the great love song for me. So that's what happens in the course of the book. Um, but of course, many other things happen too. Um, and um, you wanted me to read a section, didn't you? Yes, it would be lovely to hear you read it. Okay, so this is, um, this is right after she first meets him. Her name is Eve, his name is Makaja which is a name that I discovered when I visited a Shaker town in Kentucky. That was the name of the architect, McHager Burnett. So I've stolen McHager Burnett's name. amazing name. <laughs> they tried to get me to change it, the publishers and Did my they? agent, and everybody wanted me to change is it. Is that why you, because that's a bit in the book where you explain explicitly how to, how to, how to yes. pronounce it. And still people ask me how to pronounce it. And I had to practice it quite a few times. And I'm sorry, but it's just, that just is his name. It was always going to be his name from the start. I very nearly named my son McHager, but it just, sort of, for whatever reason, I don't know why it didn't work out that way. Um, anyway, so um, he is the son of, um, of a man that she had a crush on when she was a teenager, a friend of her older brother's. And she hasn't seen that man in nearly 30 years. She runs into him on the street in New York, and he has his son, who's 28, with him, who is, of course, even more beautiful than his father was. Um, and they have this sort of strange, there's a moment when their eyes meet, um, when they first meet on the street and there's this sort of connection between them and she, she can't tell whether he's sort of you know, flirting with her, interested in, in her or not but she is feeling kind of increasingly uncomfortable in the course of this lunch so this is really how that section finishes up Eve feels a warm, gentle pressure against her foot as she looks to Makaja in surprise, the pressure vanishes. Imperceptibly, he shakes his head. No, what? Eve wonders. No, don't respond to him? No, you don't look younger than your age? No, you do, or you don't, but it doesn't matter? Eve takes a drink of water and smells muskiness on her skin. There's a melting sensation at her core, her body is rushing ahead on a path she knows she should not follow. This boy, he's a boy, she insists to herself, though she knows he must be 28 or 29, is throwing her off her axis. In college, she lived for that feeling. Before today, she thought she'd outgrown it and comforted herself in the dull succession of her days with the relief of knowing she would never feel that fizzing confusion again. When she dares to look back at Makaja, the green gaze is like a wave rushing across the space between them to drench her, sweep her up, carry her away. Stop, she thinks, but she does not want it to end. Thank you. And it doesn't end. Uh-huh. I can't wait. <laughs> That's to only page 17. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the background to the novel? Well, um, I, wanted, I wanted to write the kind of book that I wanted to read. Um, I didn't want to write something kind of remotely literary. I wanted to write something that was sort of, you know, exciting and fun, you know, kind of like, I guess I'm sort of like upper middle brow or something. Um, but I think, you know, I, so I wanted to write a love story. I'm also kind of too lazy to do much research, so it was going to have to be contemporary, and the main character is going to have to be based love sort it. of uh, to some degree on me. Is it at all autobiographical? Well, I wish it was more autobiographical. <laughs> There's some pretty steamy sex scenes in there. Um, yeah, actually, it was. I started with those. I decided that I don't think it's been done very often that 
you know, good writers actually write sex scenes that are fun. I mean, the obvious example of an entire book that's a sex scene pretty much is on Chesil Beach, but it's not really very fun in McEwan's <laughs> book, which is an absolutely brilliant book. Um, but it's, you know, it, 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 it tends to be in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a novel that isn't just a romp and isn't just, you know, sort of for titillation. I, I, I don't like calling this an erotic novel because I yeah. think the purpose of an erotic novel is kind of really just titillation. It's a kind of, you know, um, sort of genre. And this isn't really genre. This is a, you know, it's a, life. I hope, a story that, that has a lot of resonance with real life. Um, but I hate that thing where they go, and afterward. So I didn't want to do afterward. Um, you know, plenty of books, you know, we describe cooking in great detail. And we describe violence and we describe gardening and we describe, I mean, absolutely pretty much every other thing that people do. And this, which is one of the most important things that people do and what drives so many people's lives, tends to be afterward or it's played for comedy. Yeah. And I didn't want to play it for comedy. Um, so, curiously, people say sex scenes are really hard to write. I actually wrote them first, and I didn't find them very hard to write at all. <laughs> I, often, I just thought, what, what would I like to have happen to yeah, me? Because yeah. often they're quite cringe. Work, you know, I cringe when I read yes. sex scenes sometimes, but these ones I felt were really strong and um, really... They, you're right, but they, they, are, they do feel like they're the building blocks of the story in yeah. a way, not just, like you said, like an afterthought or a kind of add-on. Yeah, something happens. I mean, I think... Films have gotten this, are a little bit ahead of, of novels in this way, is that, um, you know, you don't, we used to all cringe, you know, 20 or 30 years ago when the sex scene came along, <laughs> but, but screenwriters have really learned, I think, how to actually advance the story through the sex scene, so it's not just a gratuitous thing, and that's what I was trying to do too, I mean, a, you know, something, a, a, a movement has happened in the, the course of the narrative the, yeah. through that, um, that event. Fantastic really exciting um, and just going back a bit to your upbringing because obviously um, I wanted to talk to you about your career as well in publishing because before you were writing books you had a really successful publishing career um, yeah I was a publisher for um, nine years and Chateau, prior and to that you, you went to Oxford University where you I read you got a first in English literature which is You've very impressive researching me I too have. much <laughs> well it's not she has it, a tendency all, to do that, that it's not that hard because it's all um, there's a lot of stuff about you um but yeah i would just wondered if you could tell us a bit about how you forged that career path and what drew you to a career in publishing well um the easy answer is that i read a lot as a child um i moved house every year i didn't have many friends i went to a different school every year so after you were sorry just to go back after you uh after your mother died you then moved to ireland for a while yeah right? i moved to ireland then i moved to long island outside new york then i moved to la but in each place i was li- i lived in more than one house also so the only thing that was really kind of reliable was reading um I hated LA. I was I finished high school when I was 15, which was fortunate, and I was able to move back to London. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself, but my brother suggested, why don't I take the Oxford entrance exam? I was going to have to take it for English because there was no way I was going to be qualified to read anything else at Oxford. I couldn't possibly have passed the exam in you know, history or languages or anything. So that kind of determined what I would read, and I didn't get in on the first attempt, but I tried again. Um, and then you know, it was kind of natural progression from reading English to working in publishing. But I wasn't, 
actually a very good publisher. I ended up being editorial director of Ryden Bell Nicholson. But you I must have been quite good. <laughs> well, I was, I was a good editor, and I still edit books freelance. Um, but I wasn't good at the politics of it. I wasn't good at getting my book to be the lead title and the big marketing budget. And I wasn't good at, you know, chatting up the agent so that I'd have the first shot at the big book. That just, that wasn't, you know, it just wasn't my talent. Um, so, it, and it kind of gets to the point where, you know, the Peter Principle, you're promoted beyond the level of your competency. Um, so I didn't really have time. But by that time, you know, you're, I, I, I was doing the contracts and I was having to give the editing out freelance, which was silly because that's what I liked doing. So, so I quit on my 30th birthday. I love publishing. <laughs> so why, um, so you, I think you moved to L.A. To, with your elder sister, Angelica. And I think, did you spend, because I, I think you've written in your memoir about hanging out with, because you said you don't like L.A., but I was just wondering, it must have been quite a... a I don't know, to read about it, it sounds incredibly glamorous to be hanging out with famous movie stars like Jack Nicholson and um, hanging out with all that sort of crowd in the... Yeah, but 70s. there's nothing glamorous about it if you're the kind of pudgy, ugly duckling younger sister of this very beautiful woman and you feel that you don't belong there um, and you're bookish, which is not what L.A. is about, and you're, you have pale English skin, which is also not what L.A. is about... Um, so I just always felt that I didn't fit in there. Um, it made sense to me, in a way, even though it did not come as good news that my dad wasn't actually my father. Um, but it did make sense that I had this sort of bookish English father um, because it, it, you know, that I, I felt less of a misfit at that point. Um, and you know, I'm sure you know that things that look glamorous from the outside are very frequently not glamorous at all from the inside. And do you ever go back there? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I go. And I stay with my sister whenever I go. Um, we have family Christmases. You know, we didn't do it this last year, but the year before we did. Um, and my nephew Jack is now a movie star too. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and and you and you managed to uh, you you developed a relationship with your biological father that you said became very it was friendly and you thought of him more as an uncle. Yes, that's true. I mean, I would say that since I wrote the book, that has actually developed even further. Um, we're very, very close. And, um, and I completely adore him. And my son completely adores his grandpa. Um, they're a kind of mutual admiration society, which is really you. nice. Yeah, they, they were, I brought him here about a month ago. We were, we were in, in England. And my son is actually very like him, um, which is, is lovely. Lovely so to lovely. see. Yeah. Did I read somewhere that you wrote about restaurants? Because I oh, did I no, miss that? Just, <laughs> <laughs> the Taos Magazine. Yes. Um, which is you know kind of exists on advertising from art galleries. Um, let me be their restaurant critic for a while, and it was just a very good excuse to be able to take my friends out to dinner once a month. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I was obviously really excited when I when I re- came across that. Um, I know absolutely nothing about cooking. I'm so unqualified to be a restaurant critic. Well, you Um, know about eating. (laughs) Yes, well, exactly. And I very much, I I said when I did it that I would be the restaurant critic, not the food critic. Yeah, perfect. And also, when you live in a small town, and it's a town of about 10,000 people, 
Um, there's there's no need to be mean. There's no need to be critical about anyone. That was so going to be my question. I also said I only would write about things that I liked okay. and just kind of, you know, draw a veil over whatever I didn't. Unfortunately, Taos has a lot of good restaurants, so Which it was easy so to write, you know, <laughs> 800 words about something that I liked. Um, and I think also um, on this podcast, we quite like asking women about what their um, what like about a defining moment in their life that maybe helped them like break through into the next chapter of their life and make them become more of who they are. Um, and you were saying how you felt uncomfortable and out of place when you were in LA and that you were the pale one. And um, I was wondering what it, if there was something that happened or what was it that made you feel like that, that gave you the confidence to go into publishing. Was, it, was that the thing that made you feel like you, you found your thing? Was there something else that happened? No, not at all. I think I was very unconfident as a publisher, actually. Um, I went into it because, you know, kind of the job was virtually handed to me. Carmen Khalil's assistant, who was a friend of mine, was being promoted to be an editor, and he basically passed me on the job. Um, but I, I, I felt out of my element there, too, and I always I felt, you know, I, I still had this sort of kind of divided self between these two families and these two identities. So I would say that, I mean, there were a number of, of, uh, of moments at which I felt that I became more and more myself. One was moving to Taos, where, uh, you know, it, it's neither, it's, it's not identified with either of my families. Um, so that would be one. Um, having my son, um, the climax of, of Love Child, the memoir that I wrote, is my son's christening when all of my family, both families, all came together. Many of them had never met before. Um, so it was wonderful to have them all there. I'd always wanted to have kind of the wedding party because it's a three-line whip. Everybody has to come to a wedding. But I didn't want to get married because marriage hadn't really worked out very well for anyone in my family. So the, we had a christening instead in the Rio Grande, and that was really cool. And That's then I would say probably also when I wrote this book, um, Say My Name, because... When I started writing, I thought, oh my God, do I dare? I, I had this idea of the kind of book that I wanted to write, which would be very intimate, um, which would, you know, which wouldn't kind of gloss over um, the mechanics of a love story. And I did think, oh my God, you know, people I know are going to read this book. <laughs> um, and my, I'm going to have to give it to my father. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to give it to my brothers. And, and my father absolutely loves it. He's read it twice. He's a- amazing what he, I mean, he wrote an Amazon review of it. If anybody wants to read what he thinks <laughs> about it, you can go on Amazon.co.uk and read it. Um, so I think deciding to do this and then deciding to actually, you know, kind of go forward with it and publish it. Because at first I wrote it just to kind of see if I could. Um, and then I sort of, you know, it, it did, it was a leap. It was definitely a leap to say, okay, I'm going to put it out there and I'm proud of this book. And um, I hope that I've done something that, you know, people will enjoy reading and also kind of respond to. And there's, there is quite a lot of my own life in it. Um, I also was um, in a kind of dead, not marriage, because I hadn't gotten married, but (laughs) my relationship with my child's father had kind of, you know, sort of, you know, sapped away, Um, as as is the case with Eve in this book. um, The the details of the breakup are very different. Um, But I wanted 
to try and express what that felt like, to really kind of feel, you know, only half alive, barely alive, as if, and I could said it to myself, I didn't know what joy felt like anymore, and I didn't know how to get it back. I didn't know what had kind of what had happened to me because my default setting is actually pretty happy, or content anyway. Um, and so it was this very kind of strange feeling to to suddenly realize that um, you know Plan A really kind of wasn't working out very well. But I would have stayed in the relationship until my grave. I would never have left. In the end, he did, as in fact Eve's husband does in the book too. Um, and it was ugly for a while, but now it's all friendly and good and, and healthy, and we have family dinners together and so on. So nice. Did um, you find that? So that new... was really, that was a big moment, because now for the first time, these last three years, it's almost the first time I haven't been in a relationship with somebody. You know, I'm not part of a couple. Um, and it really feels great. <laughs> That's very good to hear, isn't it? I just, I, you know, I, I haven't read the book yet. I I'm, I'm, cannot wait to, to read the book. Um, and, but I just feel like it's, I'm so grateful for people like you who can share that honesty of, of a life experience. Like, it's, it's a novel, but to take those bits of your life, you know, that people want to hear about and that relate to and, to, and, and just be so honest in the podcast, too. It's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's probably, you know, kind of identifiable enough when you read the book what are the bits that are very personal because they're quite sort of internal, you know, they're what it feels like to wake up in the morning with that, you know, feeling like you've got this weight pressing down on your chest. But I think, you know, there's... To me, there's, the only point in reading novels and writing novels is you're looking for connection and, and memoirs too. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, we're all looking kind of for ways to make sense of our lives and to try and understand why it is that we feel the way we do and why we want what we want and why we make some pretty strange choices that we maybe aren't even aware that we're making at the time. So I think if you're going to write it, I mean, you can write a novel, and of course the plot line is always to some degree made up, but the emotions have to be genuine. Yeah. The feelings have to be real. It has to connect to you know, the fabric of real life. Otherwise, kind of what's the what's point? What's the point? Mm. Do you have more novels than you, do you think? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I have a two-book contract. Uh, I hope you're asking I, me I, about the I second one. I hope you do write a two-book <laughs> contract. <laughs> okay, well, um, Allegra, thank you so much thank for joining us on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Allegra Houston on Violet Sessions. You can find previous episodes on the Violet Bakery website via iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also keep up with us on Instagram by following at Violet Sessions. The show is a co-production of In Talks With and Wargie Productions. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.